Um, hello, everyone. If you're watching by everyone, it could just be me and Scott. I don't even know. But, you know, for now, Scott and I are everyone until anybody else pops up uh, to watch. But here we are on Tuesday. It is another episode of What's Going On? I feel like it should be What's Going On, y'all? Um, something going on uh, every week, it seems, every day. Um, but it's Tuesday, and I am here with uh, my brilliant sensei and coach. You like that, huh? Scott Perry of Creative on Purpose. And um, Scott, can you just one more time, because it's worth hearing, tell the good people what you have your hands into. Oh my goodness. Um, well, I'll tell you about the things that I can tell you about. How's that? So I am a husband, father, teacher, musician from a very small town in southwestern Virginia called Floyd, Virginia. I am also on the head coach team for Seth Godin's Akimbo Workshops. That's where I collided first with Nikki. And I have this operation of my own called Creative on Purpose, which is a blog and a broadcast and a community and a coaching program dedicated to helping uh, or whose mission is to help everyone, meaning everyone on the planet, find or develop their promise and deliver on their potential through endeavors that make a difference, work that fulfills them, work that's done with and for people that they care about, work that helps make things better for all concerned. That's me. Yes. How about you, Nikki? How about me? Well, uh, I'm a culture coach. I'm a teacher. I'm an author. I'm an artist trying to live my best life um, and trying to help other people live theirs cross-culturally. So in a nutshell, that's what I do. Um, so really glad, no matter where you're listening or watching, um, for you to be a part of our conversation. And again, just for some context today, you know, uh, I get some fantastic one-to-one -one coaching from Scott. And we just started sort of having some of these conversations together. And we said, why don't we just um, have them live Maybe they would be helpful to other people. So uh, we connect each week and we just say, what do you want to talk about? And we just go for it. So since it was my turn today to come up with what we talk about, um, did not prepare Scott at all for this. Uh, my question today was, what are the conversations or the questions that we really don't want to have? Uh, or that we're scared, like things we're scared to ask. Um, and, I'm, you know, I'm taking a little bit of a risk here. I figured I'd do this on my page, since those of you that follow me, um, hopefully by now you get the, the heart behind how I do my work um, and the intention behind why I'm asking the questions I'm asking. And so I would ask as you listen and watch that you would have um, some grace and some space for Scott and I as we are literally just, um, you know, working through some of these things together. So just know that there's, um, we'd say something that puts our foot in our mouths or whatever, like that's why we're doing this live is to help you help you do this. So I'm going to start, Scott. How about that? All right. And that way, maybe that'll help you ease into this. I'm little. always happy for you to go first. Okay. <laughs> I'm right behind you. So... <laughs> I'm gonna start with a con with with a question that someone actually asked me on a Zoom call that I hosted. It was a listening session, and it was an African American person who basically asked the question, "Why does it seem?" And again, from his vantage point, "Why does it seem hard for 
white American people, of course, I know you speak for all white America, um, but white American people who identify with things that are happening to other cultures. Does that make sense? Frame it one more, one more time. Sure. So we've talked before about the difference between individualism and collectivism and culture. And I think that there are some people that uh, are trying to get an understanding of why it, why it takes, so perception is why it takes so much yeah. for majority culture to have a sense of identifying when um, bad things happen to other groups of people. That yeah, that, that that's clear to me. So, why is it so hard for white folks to understand why there's so much anger and frustration and <laughs> pent up? Uh, you know, yeah, I think when we're talking about culture, we're talking, uh, especially when we're talking about dominant culture, white culture, especially white male culture, we don't get it in part, and I'm not speaking for everybody, um, but I'm, I'm speaking for t to what I have had reflected back to me by people that look like me. We don't seem to get it because we're like fish in water. A fish swimming in the ocean does not know what water is. It's been surrounded by water all its life. It's just it's just there and so you know the only time the fish is aware of what water is is when the fish is taken out of the water and suddenly it can't breathe um, so you know we spend so much time in in this privilege that we don't see the privilege we spend so much time in our little bubble that we don't realize that we're in the bubble and yes, I think most of us intellectually feel like, oh yeah, slavery was really bad. Racism is really bad. Prejudice, whether it's against gender or race or ethnicity or sexual preference or religion or whatever it is. I mean, we, you know, we, we can accept on an intellectual level that that's bad, but we, it's not part of our day-to-day -day experience. So... And then we have, I think there's this, this other side, which maybe is a slightly darker side. And again, I'm speaking more from what has been reflected back to me because I've been having conversations with folks that look like me and folks that don't look like me. And what I get from the folks that look like me is, but I worked for mine too. Like I worked hard. Like I, it, nothing was handed to me. You know, when you say privilege, and this is the danger about using that word privilege, because it makes it sound like, if you're white and male, you've just basically been handed your entire, you know, every every goodness in life on a platter, and you hadn't had to work for it. And so, it's, and it's really, and when I had these conversations, you know, what I'm usually reflecting back is, but have, you know, how many of your ancestors were actually property to other people? How many of your ancestors were, you know, brutalized, maimed, killed, lashed, 
because they did not understand their place as less than human. Um, how many of your people are written into the Constitution as being less than human, as being property, as not having um, the right to vote, uh, the right to the Bill of Rights? And sometimes that gets through and sometimes it doesn't um, because the, the other part of it is, yeah, but that's, that's old news. Like, we fixed all that. We have, that's the problem. We haven't fixed all that because we always are turning to the wrong... We're, we're turning the wrong way when we're looking for things to get fixed. What we want is for the... We want legis legal and legislative fixes. And we think that that's how change happens. That's not how change happens, because all that is is addressing symptoms. It's not addressing root causes. So that was my rambling answer. No, was it an answer? Really it was an answer, <laughs> yeah. It was definitely an answer. Yeah, you know, it was interesting while you were talking. I was thinking to myself, because, you know, we, again, we've talked before that for non-majority people, most of us, this is a generalization, um, have always had to think about uh, our ethnicity. And I was thinking today that, you know, like for me, I'm grateful because when I grew up, my family really gave me a sense of uh, the fact that my ethnicity was, in my words, a superpower, right? That there was, there was never anything wrong or less than or unworthy about me being an African-American person uh, in the world. Uh, although you always had an like uh, an awareness about how you exist in the world and how other people might respond to you, right? And so my question to you was going to be, what does it feel like to not have to think about that? <laughs> but again, like that's probably hard to describe because you don't really know anything else, right? Other than that. But I mean, w would you say that? Would or, or does our current conversation, does it have, does it make you as a white person have to think about it more than you have prior? I think, you know, I, I grew up in the late sixties and the early seventies, you know, I am not, I, I, you know, I grew up outside of Springfield, Massachusetts for a lot of my um, youth. And, you know, there were race riots in Springfield. There was a lot of racial divide and racial tension. Um, so it's not like I, I haven't been aware that there's a systemic problem. And um, I've never, you know, I, I never really had direct personal up close experience with that um, in, in any I don't know why this this so the story just popped into my mind. I mean, I remember being very very young, like seven, eight, nine years old, and as people like that look like me do, um, a babysitter took us to the country club to go swimming, and because people my people that look like my parents belong to the country club, and. It, for me, it was just a day to spend in the water. One of my favorite things to do. I've always been a big, big time uh, water bug and love to swim and love to just, you know, dive, dive into the deep end. Um, 
and you know and make new friends and horse around and play and I remember that the babysitter brought us to the pool one day and there was uh, an african-american boy about my age um, and I remember his name was Charles and I made friends and I the thing that I remember most about Charles this is gonna sound so ridiculous he had an Audi and I had never seen an Audi before and he had like an <laughs> Audi that was an epic Audi it looked yeah. like a golf ball about halfway in the hole you know and uh -huh. I was just like wow I've, I always I've, I always thought they went in I never realized yeah. that they could go out and I just like so that was like a thing that I remember but Charles and I were playing and we were jumping in and out of the pool and we were horsing around we got you know we were running and we're told to not run by the lifeguard and all this and I just remember that we were having such a, a great time together and as you know young people do we we started hugging each other like jumping up and down in an excitement and the babysitter rushed over and snatched me and said we're going home and I just thought oh my god I, and so I knew I had done something wrong but I couldn't figure out what I had done wrong other than the things I always did wrong which was like being too loud and running around the pool when you're not supposed to be loud running around the pool and I remember thinking all the way home that it must have been because Charles had an Audi and that I wasn't supposed to play with Charles because Charles wow. like I shouldn't ha I shouldn't touch Charles because Charles had an Audi and I and it was years later like literally years later when I was a teenager and like started to see that black people were treated a lot differently than white people and because I did go to a school that that, that had some degree of integration um, I was like oh oh Charles was black mm -hmm. like that's what that was about and I just remember being like profoundly sad um, you know that that was the way it is so that's you know that's that's my earliest experience that I can remember and that's and and that's the extent of my recollection it's just like profoundly sad that that should that should matter yeah. um, but not ha like really not having any understanding because again I went to a I went to a private school and there were um, a lot of African-Americans there because we had a really great basketball team and they recruited all the hotshot players from Springfield to come play at this rinky-dink private school that I was going to um, and we did I mean they were you know Nikki I, black folks have been my heroes ever since I was young I loved Al Green and Aretha Franklin and Curtis Mayfield and um, what was it the five uh, Five Steps or something. I don't know. There were all these groups. You know, everything I listened to was, yeah. you know, and later blues music and jazz became really important in my life. So it was like, you know, culturally, they've always been heroes. And, you know, Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. And, I mean, this was, you know, times that I mm -hmm. began growing, you know, began my life yeah. surrounded by all this. And just thinking about how heroic, you know, mm -hmm. um, and how much goodness like everything that seemed good you know yeah. I mean do you want to listen to Al Green or Peter Frampton uh Al Green please yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes that's really interesting um 
would you say that there is racism within the white community? Like white on that? white on white racism? White on white racism. Yeah. Do, do, does your do your people, Scott? Do your people experience white on white racism? That's a great question. I mean, on a super, like, meaningless, superficial level, yeah. I mean, I mean, in a way, when we talk about, you know, if I mean, I, I'm guessing like you're referencing black on black, black crime, and is there something similar going on in the white? You know, I think culturally, white male dominant culture is competitive and mm -hmm. cutthroat, and it's. Um, the, the stupid version of social evolution, you know, survival of the fittest, but survival of the fittest me really means survival of the meanest, lyingest, cheatingest. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm going to get mine and good luck dividing up what's left over. Um, and I think that's, you know, I mean, just this idea that um, there's not enough and so we're gonna have 1% that has almost all of it and 99% that's not gonna have much of it at all um, but in terms of you know I mean and the barriers to move movement um, are not nearly as rigid you know as they are for women people of color you know any marginalized yeah. um, group so mm -hmm. yeah it's a great question because I, I have been thinking about this a lot more lately you know we we've grown up we've created this social economic educational political scheme that is a finite game Clear, clear winners, clear losers, and never the twain shall meet. Um, you know, very fixed mindset for so long, and not very growth mindset. Not you know. So, I mean, that's the part of the hope that I have in in what happens beyond the outrage um, is that you know maybe we are going to have conversations and realize that there's a lot more abundance than we've been. Um, than we've been willing to acknowledge because we listen to the wrong people mm -hmm. and that you know we can start to think a little bit more expansively about you know what, what's what's the world that we really want to live in as opposed to the the, the world you know that's we've been fed by the matrix <laughs> right. yeah. what are what are the questions that either you or people like you don't want to ask I, I mean, I think the, the question that I think that we have to ask is like, part of it is what do you want? Like me, white male person of privilege, what do you, black woman of color, like what, what is it that you really want? Because, and, and and that's mm. 
that's that's like the initial question because I think the question that we want to get to is what do we what do we what do we want? But I think it would be helpful for mm-hmm. white America to like hear like what do, what yeah. does what does African American culture what is you know yeah. marginalized culture what do what do you what is it that you really want? Mm. I mean, I, I'm guessing yeah. it's not what's going on. It, this that's just a oh. symptom of the outrage, but. Yes. Um, you know, that is a fantastic if, question. Uh, you want to know what I think? I do. All right. I can give you my opinion as one person from the African-American community in the United States. I can say that, well, I can say with full assurity that every black person, every person in the United States wants to know that they have the ability to just exist without the threat of violence uh, against you by by a system and people within that system that are supposed to protect you, right? Now, we live in a world and it's dangerous, right? And so anybody can be, you know, subject to any kind of violence at any time really right like that's that's our experience however i think that most of us want to know that um that the reason that violence would be escalated would not be because of the color of our skin alone mm-hmm. um so i know people want that i know that um what i want is to know that people who care about the diversity of our country were leaning into how to learn and navigate culture, right? And instead of, of fearing cultures that are different, to actually move forward and step into, instead of backing away, but stepping into relationships and proximity and staying curious and those sort of things. But I think that takes a kind of humility that is not always encouraged in American culture. Um, but I know, I know for me, I want that. I want someone to be curious about my cultural come from uh, in a real humble way, you know? I want, I, I want somebody to ask me about my natural hair without waiting to make some sort of snide comment about it. You know what I mean? Like, I just want them to be curious about, like, tell me about this, right? Like, how, how did how'd you do that? Like, was it always like that? You know, that's the kind of environment I want. Um, I want to know that, uh, that people see my culture and other people's culture as assets to their work, their life, their play, um, and can even celebrate it to some degree, you know, mm-hmm. celebrate the richness of diverse culture that way, because there's so much to learn uh, from the people around us. Um, yeah, but I think right now in the conversation, Safety is key. <laughs> I mean, 
you know, I, I, um, it's hard to want the other things when you're so focused around, you know, is my brother going to be okay just walking around Baltimore City today? You know, um, given his stories of things and assumptions and that kind of thing, um, I think that's what people want. Um, yeah, those are just some things off the top of my head. Well, this is what's amazing about your answers to me. What I'm not hearing is I want retribution or revenge. Like, what I'm hearing is I want the same things that I want. Dignity, respect, existential freedom to just be like just the right to live yes um equality uh of of opportunity but also just you know equality in terms of human to human um interactions you know so i you know i'm hearing respect dignity understanding you know and i i for me i i would just wrap all that in justice you know, justice in the not the legal sense because we're not getting it from our legal system or our legislative system at this point. But justice in in the idea that we, my right to thrive, mm. extends all the way to the to the point where it impedes on your right to thrive, mm. and 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 we have to respect that, like. You know, so, you know, we don't, we should not have 1% whose right to thrive is, has no boundaries and they can get as much and, and, uh, and, and keep as much as they want mm -hmm. while depriving other people of, of, of others. And then the idea of, of just, um, you know, I mean, interconnectedness, integration, just, you know, justice in that we are all part, not just human beings. I mean, every living thing, we're just, you know, we're part of a, a living system. And we, our ability to survive and thrive really does depend on everybody else's ability to do the same. And that, yeah, just, just that idea of like real, justice and so when you're saying all that i'm saying okay you want what i want <laughs> like why don't we just have that right why don't we just have it right yeah um and so <clears throat> in terms of you know so in keeping with the theme of the deep end you know it if it and i don't think that i don't think that you know i know that there's i know that there are some people that just are filled with hatred and filled with ignorance and an unwillingness to try to understand and they're holding on to these bizarre ideas about what you know what slavery was really for and what the civil war was really i mean I, you know i i can't i don't have any way to address all that if if you want to look at historic fact let's look at that if you want to look at you know delusional stories like gone with the wind that 
romanticize something that was horrible, I, I can't help you. Um, but I don't think that, I think that there's a lot of, I think that there's more people that look like me that, that think like me than we, yeah. we think because nobody's listening to me. <laughs> you know, they're listening to people that have a megaphone. Exactly. They're listening to people that have a platform. They listen to people that have a million Twitter followers. So you and I have spoken about this in past episodes. It's like we're not the change that you and I want to see is not going to happen from the top down. It's not going to be legislated mm -hmm. and it's not going to come through our legal system. Yeah. It's it's going to come from the ground up. So what does that mean? It means it's going to be slow, which is frustrating. Yes. Um, but I mean, I don't know. We've been we've been doing it wrong for four hundred years. I'm guessing it's going to take more than a couple of weeks to yeah. get it fixed. Yeah. Um, you know. And so it's, it's a matter of, to me, the, the, the word I, I, I've been playing with a lot recently is volition, like the will, yeah. the commitment, the moral character to continue to do the right thing simply because it's the right thing to do, even as you are, you know, failing or coming up against, you know, impenetrable impenetrable obstacles day after day after day um, and to just do it because the effort itself is what's worthwhile mm -hmm. and we can't control the outcome all we can continue to do is control the quality uh, of our efforts you know and this is a very small effort that you and I are committed to but I think it I think it makes a little bit of a difference you know I think if somebody yeah, well, it's, it's certainly not doing any harm. Right, um, right. And I mean, I think it's just, you know, in some ways powerful to see <laughs> to see a white dude and, a, and an African-American gal talking. Like, yeah. you know, just, <laughs> and talking about this, you yeah. know. I mean, because you and I could talk about music all day long. Or we, we could. could talk about we coaching all day We haven't even started to talk about <laughs> music, my friend. <laughs> um. I had a question for you and, and yeah. okay, this is, this is going down a, a new rabbit hole. So if you okay. want to stay in the rabbit, rabbit hole that we're in, I'm, I'm fine staying in the rabbit right. hole we're in. I, you know that I'm a huge fan of your work and I love this idea of culture and come from. And, you know, what I hear in that is, you know, what are, you know what are the shared identifiers what are the shared beliefs mm -hmm. what are the shared um, you know what's the shared language and uh, routines or rituals mm -hmm. um, you know I think when we're talking about culture that's what we're talking about when we talk you know if we're going to call it you know you and I have to discuss the, the the difficulties in using like race as an identifier just because it doesn't mean anything other right. than one is dark complected and one is light complected. There's nothing else of importance <laughs> biologically 
um, tied to, to, to race. So I, I have been, you know, I, I had a conversation with somebody yesterday because, you know, one of the organizations that I'm a part of is wanting to address the fact that there's not a lot of diversity in their, in their entire community, you know, from the bottom all the way to the top. And they, they recognize that that's a problem. They've brought in experts to help, help with that and invited me um, to have a conversation and then we're inviting people into a small uh, into a into a group to have a more kind of sustained look at the situation but they wanted to make sure that most of those seats are occupied by people from marginalized populations and I just say okay that's you know I I, I accept that I see that I mean I, I do think that part of fixing the situation is that those who have had more will have to accept that they can't continue to have more and may indeed have to have less. Um, and the way that this person identified themselves, you know, was based on their race, their gender, their sexual preference, mm -hmm. their the part of the world where their people come from and you know it was, a, it was kind of a laundry list and yeah. it was a little overwhelming and it was cool it was like oh you know that's a that's a lot of cool stuff all right. you know <laughs> so this is yeah. this is how this person is identifying themselves and when I was responding to like hey you know we do want this group to be you know made up mostly of marginalized populations I, I totally understand and I totally respect that. And I am obviously not going to, you know, fit into that group. But I f still feel like I, I have um, something to contribute, um, even if it's just being a quiet white guy in the corner that's, you know, paying attention and listening. And this is a really long winding okay. way of getting to my question but so when I think about when I think about my culture and come from I should be thinking Scotch Irish Polish if family myth is true which ancestry.com will soon prove one way or the other maybe a little Cherokee I mean like there's all these you know there's all these I have an ethnic um, and uh, you know my, my background is not from here um, I never think of myself that way. Right. I never, and I don't even, I mean, I don't even identify as white. I don't even really mm -hmm. spend a lot of time identifying as male. Right. Um, I just. You're the person. Well, I, I really, this is, this. Is, so I just, mm -hmm. human being, I am a human being. Mm -hmm. You're a human being. Let's just be human beings. And so. I don't really have a question here yeah. other than, you mm -hmm. know, is that, do you feel like that's a common thing when you talk to people that are, that are white, that they don't have that strong identity? And it, and I have heard you describe yourself and, and the communities that you work in. And it is a really important, like identifying as, you know, black or a specific ethnicity or a specific gender or specific orientation. That's yeah. even uh, down to, you know, religion. It can be really important. 
so help me understand yeah what why that is and what the benefits what's the upside yeah. well a few thoughts on that it, it's interesting you know that that like for me when i identify i usually only identify in those in those ways when i'm in the context of culture coaching hmm. or when i'm in the context of talking about cultural issues for the purpose of understanding right like i'm just out in the world or out with david or whatever it doesn't come up it really doesn't for me right and, and again that's my come from it doesn't come up so for me i don't feel the need to always have somebody know that you know i'm a black woman this 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 this, this. for me i don't need that although i realize that it's part of how i'm created which is an asset to the work that I've been called to do on the earth, right? So having that understanding. I think that particularly if you are part of a non-majority culture of any kind, it is more likely that you will use descriptors mm. because of if you have lived a life where you have felt like those descriptors that have been important to you have been dismissed by people around you or a majority culture. It's almost like um, like taking them back to say, no, these are, are part of, of who I am and I need you to see them, you know, because I see them. So a lot of times if you hear that long list of people, right, or I mean a long list of identifiers, it's probably a signal uh, to people that that person has probably had those things dismissed in them and also sees them in their own life as strong identifiers that are worthy to be shared. Um, you know, you'll see that a lot. I think with the white majority people, if they're part of a queer community or LGBTQ, right? Um, that that's a strong identifier. Whereas straight people may say, why do you have to keep saying that? You know, like, what's the big deal? I don't even care. What's the big deal? Well, again, going back to what I was saying earlier about that culture of understanding, right? Be a person and just take them for what they are and say, okay, that person probably meaningful for them to make sure that they say that because maybe even for them, it does something to them. I think that the uh, unfortunate part for many white Americans is that, you know, I think we talked about this before with the idea of whiteness and the idea of like white supremacy, that sort of thing, not supremacy, but just the idea of whiteness is whiteness in a sense, a lot of times, if you hang with me here, doesn't have anything to do with a people group in a sense, right? Whiteness is really trying to describe the, the washing of culture. So even for a lot of white Americans, you know, they're not encouraged to think about their cultural history and tell other people about it. You know, I have some friends who their, um, their history is, their cultural history is Dutch. Well, if you look at them, you'd never know, right? Until they tell you but they love talking about it. 
-hmm. right? So that adds a new cultural element into my friends. So otherwise I wouldn't have known. And that is the thing that we all miss out on when we are striving towards an idea of sameness or this idea of whiteness is it strips all of that from all of us, you know? So then it's like, Scott, I don't want to hear about your Irish heritage because we're just people, you know? It's like, Nikki, I don't want to hear about what it's like for you as being a black person. I don't want to hear about it because we're just all people. But that means that somebody had to determine what does people mean, yeah. right? The people, like who, who's people? <laughs> so to me anyway, I think that might be sometimes why you hear some of the qualifiers from people who are part of non-dominant culture. No, um, that... Yeah. The, the danger I will say though, is that if, if you're a person in a dominant culture that doesn't have a lot of proximity to people who are not like you, when you hear those qualifiers, you can make an assumption that everybody qualifies like that. And that's not necessarily yeah, no, that, the point that, that I want to highlight that I think is really important about what you said is that some of those quali some of those identifiers and qualifiers are like a reclaiming of the dignity and the value for individuals that, you know, that, ha and that has been stripped from them because we have spent a lot of time, you know, with through r racist um, legislation and laws, through anti-gay um, legislation and laws. We, we have taken taken away some of people's unidentified. So I, I definitely get that idea of wanting to reclaim and and have it have it acknowledged with dignity and well and even with just plain acknowledgement um, and and we're still all human beings yes and so for me like I I get it you know I think we have to recognize it's it it comes down to that I think it does come down to this that word acknowledge like we and this is part of the problem that you and I and we have said this before the problem the reason why there's rioting in the streets now over George Floyd is because we've never acknowledged the the severity the pain the trauma not just to black people to the entire nation we are a nation built on the idea of freedom and equality that spent half more than half of its existence enslaving a population and denying half of our population suffrage the right to vote right and so you know just i think that there has to be i think we have to have that cultural moment where we mm -hmm. and this is back a long time ago and this was back when Virginia was very Republican, like they finally apologized for slavery. And it was like, mm -hmm. it blew my mind that it was Virginia because Virginia at that point was very concerned. I mean, they wouldn't acknowledge Martin Luther King Day unless it came with 
Lee Davis Day or something, right? It's just like, what? Okay, <laughs> that, that makes absolutely no sense. Um, you know, but again, it was a it was a legislative thing, and yeah. so it was like a, a kind of a nice like checklist moment, but yeah. it wasn't like the deep like let's. And I, I don't think acknowledge means to dwell because I don't think we uh -uh. want to relive any of that stuff. And, you know, I'm not sure that, but to like acknowledge that we have done a really poor job. Right. And we can set an aspiration together for that, for a set a vision for a world where there is absolute equal opportunity yeah. equality of uh, equality of opportunity equality uh, yeah. amongst genders races and so forth and like let's start working on that yeah. from where we are i don't know how you know i don't know how we get there but i, you know I do else? know something else that came to mind scott um with talking about this question about identifiers and qualifiers is uh, i hadn't really thought about this before this right now but so i'm a high context kind of person right i love context because i think it brings clarity um but within the context of uh your environment at the time sometimes will then dictate how much you qualify right so it's very rare that i'm with a group of non-white people and have to you know, if, if they're all black and have to qualify things, right? Although it might come up in conversation because we talk about culture all the time, right? Mm -hmm. um, if I am, uh, you know, but if I'm in a, a room full of white men, which happens to me a lot, um, you know, I, I may or may not qualify because I know that they're not going to be able to identify with that. And I don't want them to think of me in a different way than just being a person, right? Yeah. May not identify. In the context of a race conversation or cultural com conversation, I may identify. Here's, here's something, I don't know if I ever told you this, but several years ago, um, my husband and I went to Kenya and it was the first time I've ever been to Africa, like at all, right? Never thought I would get there um, we went there to do some work and I had a very interesting um, experience. First of all, it was the first time I had ever been anyplace else that like all the billboards and everything were like brown people. And it took me a minute, you know, being coming from the United States. It took me a minute like, oh, you mean that's not an ad for black hair care products, you know, because it's like people that look like me were normal, right? They are the majority. So th there was that. But then we would go to these malls and stuff like that. And I noticed, I felt like people were looking at me. Now, maybe it was just my own neuroses, which is very possible. Um, it also could be that I was with David. So, you know, we always get some looks. However, it felt different to me. And I think, I thought to myself that this would be one place where I didn't feel like I stuck out, mm -hmm. right? Because I'm a black person, um, especially how much I knew, right, at that time. 
But it was the first time in my life that I ever felt more like an American than I did a black American. Mm. And I've never experienced that since. I mean, maybe when I went to Ireland, I had the same kind of thought, but not like when I was in Kenya, because I didn't feel like an African at all, because I'm not, right? I'm a black American. And so it was just such a strange thought that it was one of the first times I, I never thought about myself as a black American. I just saw myself as an American. I mean, it, it was a mind twist, let me tell you. Yeah, no, well, that right? speaks really clearly to what you were saying about the importance of context. Yeah. Um, you know, I think things are different in the South than they are in the North, and they're different in the Midwest, yeah. and they're different in the Pacific Southwest. Um, you know, what we're really talking about with all of this is this human desire to like build identity and forge meaning like i want to i want to matter mm -hmm. i want to you know have some significance mm -hmm. um and i want it to you know to mean something mm -hmm. and to your point about the like in any given context we may have to draw on different pieces of ourselves mm -hmm. and I'll just my my concluding thought is this idea that I've been playing with really all all this year which is this idea of being an integrated human being yeah. like mm -hmm. yes there are moments when I am Scott Perry mm -hmm. musician on stage or mm -hmm. guitar teacher in studio where I am the father of my sons or the husband of my wife, where I am the friend uh, to, to a friend or where I am uh, a coach in somebody else's um, program or I am the owner operator of you know my own. And so I have all these roles that I play. And if I thought about like, yeah, I'm certainly drawing on different skills soft and, and hard in each of those circumstances but I used to like actually go through my life like feeling like I was switching hats or changing gears or like you know, like putting on new clothes or like I used to time my run so that I, when I finished coaching for the day and was going into the studio I'd go for my run and that was like my way of resetting and it was kind of exhausting and so one day I just like I'm just going to be Scott Perry all day long. Mm. I'm just going to do that. Because yeah. <laughs> I yeah. don't, you know, when I really think about fundamentally who I am, yeah. you know, and what, what, my core, what my core values and beliefs are, and, you know, the things that I hold near, like the things that I will not equivocate on, and, and the, you know, the things that I will, um, it just, it was easier when that remained constant throughout the day. You know, and so just, I, again, I'm coming back to this idea of like, you know, just being, and then mostly that meant just being a human being. Yeah. Um, and by being a human being, I mean being a human being with all that's best. Yes. Kindness, 
compassion, generosity, um, uh, altruism, justice, you know, you know, I wonder if, if a part of the way forward is just, you know, through conversations like this, and just like you said at the beginning, when I heard, like, when I asked you, what do you want? And you told me, I was like, okay, I want that too. I want that too. <laughs> so let's yeah. just do that. I think, you know, I think if we, if we had those conversations about like, just like, what are the, what's the, what's, what's the core, what's the core of it? You know, what, what, what is, at the, what's at the, what are the essential things that, you know, we all want to have? I, I, I don't think it's as hard. I, I um, fully agree with you. Yeah, I would, I would, would add that um, I think it's, it's so important for us, particularly in this day and age, to make sure we are cultivating the core of, of what we think our operating system and to ask ourselves, uh, you know, the way that we're moving in the country, are the, the people and the ideas that we are allowing to lead us forward, are they leading us into more life as a country or more death as a country? And I know that even that is subjective, right? But, you know, are, can, can we all agree on maybe, maybe not, but the majority of us agree on things such as, you know, like you said, respect and dignity and kindness and, um, and all of those things so that it's a better life and a better world for all of us. Um, I still have great hope in human beings um, that yes is the answer to that. And I think you're right when you say, I actually think the majority of people um, that is diverse in the middle want those things and can find common ground on those things but we have to know that you know the stuff in the middle we're never gonna see on our news channels or that kind of thing because binary is what sells and so it's really important um moving forward that we keep moving forward together uh, in the middle and not being afraid of hard conversations with friends or doing the learning we need to do or when it's appropriate giving each other the benefit of the doubt yeah. um, you know, in conversations and I'm with you you can't legislate the heart you just can't um, it can certainly provide guardrails around some things that are necessary but in the end um, you really have to steward and cultivate what is going on inside of each and every one of us. Well, I think you, you've you just teed up our conversation for next week. So I, I think it's time to talk about agency. The agency that you and I have and anybody that's listening has as an individual with no political power, with no status, with no authority. Mm-hmm. You know, what's the, you still have ownership of your own reason choices what you choose to pay attention to what you choose to not pay attention to who you choose to listen to and who you refuse to listen to who you surround yourself with and who you don't right because 
I think that's um, an important uh, that that's going to be super important for for the way forward. So once again, we had a 60 minute, 30 minute conversation. Right? I know. <laughs> Thank you all for watching and just engaging with us at uh, whatever point. And if you hear back um, or you're watching a replay, uh, thank you for engaging with us. Um, and we will be on again next week on the Fats Creative on Purpose page. Um, but you can find us there. All right. So happy lunchtime, everybody. Thanks for engaging with us. And uh, we thank will you, Nikki. Later.